Good morning. Go ahead and open your Bibles with me, if you would, uh, to Paul's letter to the Ephesians and also uh, Paul's letter to the Colossians. Um, As you open up your Bibles to Ephesians and Colossians, uh, again, welcome. Um, We're glad that you are here. Um, Feel free to to lower your mask during the duration of uh, the sermon, and then we'll we'll collectively put them back on together as we continue singing um, later on. If you you desire not to take them off, then you do not have to, to take them off. But... Today, we're, we're continuing our, our slow and meticulous journey through Paul's letter uh, to, the, to the Ephesians. And in doing so, I'm reminded of a, of a little book um, by Vaughn Roberts entitled God's Big Picture. It's God's Big Picture, tracing the, the storyline of the Bible. Um, the title of the book sufficiently summarizing what the book is about and, and all that goes with it. it it's it's a, a big picture of the overarching story of the Bible, kind of condensed down. So it's, the Bible is one large story that comprised of multiple smaller stories. And so just a little bit of a plug here. Um, starting in the fall, so like right around the corner, actually in September will be the, the first ones. We're, we're going to be offering a series of different online classes uh, via Zoom um, and some other means there. More information can be found about those. I think the first one's even starting in September um, on spiritual uh, disciplines. And then there's going to be another one going on. I think it is uh, what how to study the Bible. Um, and so we're, we're excited about by those. But in November, I'm going to be doing one um, that's going to be a six-week class that we'll be teaching, um, just tracing the storyline of the Bible. So the entire Bible in six weeks, um, and then on the seventh week, we'll rest um, there. So a little Bible humor um, for you. Um, but what we've been looking at over the past several weeks, including today, is, is the reason the storyline even exists. Like how, why the story of the Bible, why a book like that would even begin to exist is Verses 3 through 14 provide us insight into the mind and the heart of the author of our story. Specifically, these verses provide us with insight into God's plan to save sinners. A plan that he established in eternity past. So, as the text tells us, before the foundation of the world. And just so we're all on the same page here. A reminder that when we speak about God, we're saying a lot uh, when we say God or that we believe in God. But we're speaking of one God eternally existent in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. When you hear the word Trinity, um, the triune God, that, that's what's being referred to. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God eternally existent in three persons. And here's what we mean by that is God the Father is not God the Son or God the Holy Spirit. And God the Son is not God the Father or God the Holy Spirit. And God the Holy Spirit is not God the Father or God the Son. But there is only one God, one nature existing in three persons eternally. And what the Bible teaches is that each person of God serves a very specific and important and unique role in God's overarching plan of salvation bringing lost people to saving faith into his kingdom. 
And so what we've been looking at over the last two weeks has been the role of God the Father in this awesome, marvelous plan that he, we see in verses 3 through 6. And, and how the plan originated with God the Father. It's his brainchild. He's the one who, who, who chose undeserving sinners in Christ before the foundation of the world. And it's him who in love predestined us to those who he chose for adoption to himself through Christ. Again, all of this happening before the foundation of the world, before time. Because remember, remember, time did not even begin to exist until God spoke everything into existence. So not that God needs a drawing board, right? He doesn't need a, a drawing board. But speaking figuratively in a way that we can easily understand or understand a little bit better, all of that... Everything in verses 3 through 6 is God's plan on the drawing board, if you will. He's going to bless undeserving sinners who he chose based exclusively uh, on his love. Not not merit, not worth, um, but based upon his love. Simply a manifestation of his love to the praise of his glorious Grace. He, he's going to adopt undeserving sinners as his children. And he's going to do it by blessing us in the beloved. What does that mean? By uniting us together in Christ. Who Colossians tells us. So turn with me over to Colossians. Hopefully you're already there. In Colossians chapter 1. So it's going to be to the right of Ephesians. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. But if Colossians chapter 1, this is the beloved who we are blessed in. Looking at verse 15, he, he is referring to Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, absolutely everything, he might be preeminent for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross this passage oh this wonderful and glorious magnificent passage is a wonderful snapshot of God's eternal plan So many questions answered in this text. It's just tying ever so closely to what we're looking at in Ephesians. Like we just look here in Colossians real quick because some questions that are answered. Like how were things created, church? Like don't don't answer off the top of your head. Like like, what does the text tell us here? How were all things created? God the Father speaking through God the Son. All things were created through Him. Why? We've got to ask, why were all things created through him? 
for him, like for Christ, who is, who is holding all things together in this very moment, like right now, giving you air to breathe and heart rhythm to beat, who's, who's allowing this to happen, all the oxygen and molecules and everything that's out there. How does that work? Christ, Christ is holding all things together. Hebrews 1.3 telling us he holds it all together by the word of his power. So the same word that was created, everything was created through. He's now holding it all together through. Ah, who is holding this together? We see as Christ, who is the head of the church. Christ, which he clearly identifies as his body. Who is the first to rise from the dead? Christ. Meaning everyone who is in Christ will also rise from the dead. Who is preeminent out over absolutely everything in all of creation? I think you got the answer now, right? Christ is preeminent over absolutely everything in all of creation. Meaning everyone who is in Christ bows a knee to him. Why? For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. And here's the big question. How does he do this? How does he reconcile all things in this messed up and broken pandemic-filled world to himself? How? By making peace by the blood of his cross. Of making peace by the blood of his cross. Which brings us in our passage today in Ephesians 1, 7 through 10 to the doctrine of redemption. And what we're looking at today is how God's plan that is on the, the drawing board that was established before the foundation of the world before time comes off the drawing board board out of eternity and into time into time what we're looking here at where heaven and earth collide in god's eternal plan so ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So what we're doing today is we're moving from big vision plan of God the Father to how he planned in eternity past to bring this plan to fruition. So the details of the plan. So he's like, okay, this is the idea. This is what we're going to do. And now he's saying, this is how we're going to do it. <laughs> this is how it's going to be accomplished. And it's through what we know as the doctrine of redemption. Now, question. What does redemption mean in a biblical sense? What does redemption mean? Well, it's the process 
by which sinful humans are delivered from their sinful bondage and brought into relationship with God through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. The word redemption, they are being closely associated with the word ransom, to pay a price, to buy back literally what belongs to you, to buy back what already belongs to you. Think about it for a second. When you hear the word ransom, what do you typically think about? Probably, like most people, like kidnapping, right? Like somebody's been kidnapped and there's a ransom that's being requested to to buy this person back, to to have them come back into your possession. So you give this X large sum of money to be able to bring them home. Biblically speaking, I, I often think of the story of Hosea and Gomer. That may be a story that some of you are familiar with. It may be a story that others of you are, are not very familiar with. But th- so for those who are not very familiar with the story of Hosea and, and Gomer, uh, here's a brief synopsis. Like brief, I'll tell you to go read it for yourself and see all that it has to unfold. But Hosea, the dude... Uh, in this story, it takes Gomer, kind of make the clarification because those are just kind of some weird names. But Hosea takes Gomer to be his bride. She, she runs then off into the arms of another man. Just leaves, abandons him, goes off and is living her life with somebody else. And what does Hosea do? Does he just divorce her? Does he just kick her to the curb, say, okay, I'm done with you. I'm going on to somebody else. What what does he do? He does the same thing that God does for his children. He he pursues her with a never stopping, never giving up, never ending, always and forever love. And you know what he does? Church, do you know what he does? He buys her back. He doesn't just woo her back. He buys her back. Gives like almost literally everything to buy her back. And he doesn't just bring her home to say, okay, now you can sleep in the guest room. Ah, yeah, yeah, you can go sleep on the couch. No, he, he forgives her. And all that comes with forgiveness is applied to her. And get this. The same thing, the same thing of forgiveness happens to everyone who trusts in Jesus as their only hope in life and in death. Meaning no matter, friend, how far you think you are from God, whether you're sitting here in our midst this morning or you're watching from home, no matter how far you think that you are from God or how unforgivable you think that your sin may be, Oh, I'm here to tell you, friends, that God's love story tells a different story. God's love tells a completely different story than what you may be preaching to yourself. It tells us that, yes, forgiveness is possible. And God has gone to exceedingly great things to make it happen. And not only just to make it, oh, this is a possibility. No, he's gone to exceedingly great lengths to ensure it will happen. There's no ifs, ands, buts. It will happen. He will bring home his children by grace, through faith, in Christ, alone. Flip back over to Colossians with me for a moment. Colossians 1, look at the verses 13 and 14 that precede the ones that we looked at, talking about the preeminence of Christ. 
This gives a great definition of what redemption is. That he, this, this point, he is God the Father. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So that's the definition of redemption in a nutshell. Now let's look at some general observations that are stemming from from this text. Starting with observation number one, God is sovereign over redemption. Look at Ephesians 1 verse 7. In him we have redemption. In who? In Christ. Which implies that in him alone we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. Not not through our good deeds. Not through our our actions. Not through uh, coming to church or being a member of a church or our family history. There is literally no other way to be forgiven of our sin than through faith in Christ. We are saved again, church. How? By grace, through faith, in Christ alone. This, and this here, this means of by grace, through faith, in Christ alone, this is how God designed it before the foundation of the world. A reminder that God is 100% sovereign over redemption. It's God who plans it. It's God who carries it out. And it's God who ensures everyone who is redeemed will not fall away from him. In him, we can say in him alone, we have redemption to the praise of his glorious grace. Now, second observation. Redemption is a present possession for we who are in Christ. Redemption is a present possession for we who are in Christ. Notice how Paul says in verse seven, in him, we have redemption. Who is the we? It's we who are in Christ. We have redemption. When? When did we get this? When when did we receive this? Now we have it if we are in Christ And forever we will have this if we are in Christ. Our redemption is both a present and future reality. Meaning our election, our adoption become a present reality through the redeeming work of Christ. And we don't wait for the benefits to come like someday down the road. Like, okay, then we're going to, once we get to heaven, then we'll get to experience all the benefits of being a, a Christian. Now, let's not be mistaken. Those benefits are pretty awesome. Like no more sin, no more death, no more suffering, no more tears, no more pain, no more anguish. With Christ forever more. Yes, those benefits are miraculous. But that's why Paul was able to say for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. It's a day that we long for. But there also are benefit now if we are in Christ We have redemption now. We are sons and daughters of God now if we are in Christ. We are no longer slaves to sin. We have been ransomed, bought back for the price that we can never afford. 
We've been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of God's beloved son in whom we have redemption now. We have forgiveness now. Oh, such a comforting reality. Oh, friends, if we are in Christ, we're a child of God now and forever and nothing, absolutely nothing can ever change this. Why? Because the securement of our salvation is in Christ. Meaning there is no one who can come along and outbid him. There's no one who can pay a higher ransom. He paid the highest price possible to buy us back. He gave his life to redeem everyone who believes. Oh friend, do you believe in Jesus today? Do you believe in the Jesus who delivers sinners from their sin? Oh, believe in him. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. You will be redeemed as the text tells us. Next observation, number three, redemption is sacrificial. It's not free. It comes with a cost. We receive it by grace, through faith. But it cost Jesus' life. It cost him his life as redemption is made possible exclusively through his blood. Through the blood of cross, peace is made by the blood of his cross. Think back about Israel even in our study through Exodus. How was Israel saved from from Egypt? By taking faith-filled refuge under the unblemished blood of the lamb. The lamb was slain to prevent the firstborn from dying. You didn't take faith, take faith-filled refuge under the blood of the lamb, then the firstborn in every home died. How are we in Christ redeemed? Through his blood, the blood of the lamb, the blood of Christ. Meaning the cost of our redemption was the life of Jesus. No greater love than this, who calls us friend, Because his brother, now why blood, you ask? Like, why does this have to be the case? Like, why did Jesus have to die? Can there there be another way? Well, Hebrews 9, 22 tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. This is a theme we see running throughout the Bible. For sins to be forgiven, a, a substitutionary sacrifice was absolutely required. Jesus is our unblemished sacrifice. He is our atoning sacrifice, giving his life to pay the penalty for everyone who believes. Again, friends, are you, are you looking for your sins to be forgiven? Oh, look no further than Jesus. Look no further than Jesus. Run to the cross and run no further for forgiveness is found at the cross for everyone who believes. Which brings us to observation number four. Redemption secures our forgiveness. Again, verse seven, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses or the forgiveness of our sins. The word trespasses, they're stressing the violent nature of our sin against God. How we have violated God's law how we have broken his covenant. Not not just a man covenant, we have broken his covenant and we deserve his judgment. He is the one that we have offended. 
He is the one that we have ultimately sinned against. But we who are in Christ have been forgiven by the one that we have offended. He who we have offended to the uttermost has forgiven us to the uttermost. That is, we have been completely freed from the penalty that we deserve. And the problem here, the problem that many, maybe you find yourself facing day after day after day is an inability to forgive yourself or others of what God has already forgiven through Christ. Still living as a slave, though a bond through a bondage that has already been freed from. It's kind of like an animal. You see these videos of animals that spend their entire life kind of just caged, maybe abused. But then there's an opportunity to set them free. You take them out and they're in this cage and they've lived here their own entire life, but you take them out to the field, you take them to the surrounding beautiful area outside and you're like, you're free. You open up the cage door, go, you're free. And they don't leave the cage. They they don't fly away. They don't go because they don't know how to be free. This may be you this morning have lived your life for so long under the bondage of sin and the bondage of unforgiveness, of even an inability to forgive yourself. Even though you're like, you've been forgiven, you're like, I know that, but you're having really hard time living as though you have been forgiven. You just don't know how. So here, here are four just kind of just quick things here to say, here's, here's where you start. Starting with, un- unless you are in Christ... You can't. Only Christians can know the joy of redemption. Only Christians can know the joy of being forgiven. But even if we are in Christ, let's be honest, we have to continually embrace our new reality and learn to walk in it. It's a constant battle. The evil one constantly tempting us and saying to us that you're not worthy of this. And we're right, we're not worthy of this. But we buy into the lie that we're not forgiven. Oh, friends, second observation there, just there, embrace your new identity. Embrace the reality that you are a child of God. If you are in Christ, you are a child of God now. Adopted by God now. Nothing can change this. Nothing. Not not a bad relationship, not an abusive parent. Nothing can change this. God is not our temporary father. We're not going to bounce from from home to home. No, he's our father now and forevermore. Third thing here, embrace the reality that he loves you. You may have lived like Gomer, a life of adultery and sin against God. But if you're in Christ, he ransomed you out of your adultery based exclusively upon his love for you. Not your merit, but like an abused and broken child coming into a home with loving and adoptive parents It takes time for us to to learn to trust and to embrace God's love. That we don't have to earn his love. He he will never be abusive towards us. 
A high five is a means of affection, not a hand that's rising to an, an abuse. Oh, friend, you have never been loved more than this. And you never will if you are in Christ. He adopted you knowing even more than you how broken you were and how broken you are. And he still adopted you because of his love for you and his love for Christ. Fourth, quick here observation, embrace the reality that because you've been forgiven much, you too are able to forgive. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to forgive, isn't it? Like when you've been offended and sinned against, it's really hard to forgive. But the cross was no picnic. But Jeremy, I'm not Jesus. You're right. None of us are Jesus. But if you are in Christ, you have the same Holy Spirit living within you, which makes forgiveness possible. Both your ability to forgive others and your ability to forgive yourself. See, we focus a lot of attention on forgiving others. Man, we need to forgive ourselves sometimes, don't we? That's sometimes what we have the hardest time with is beating ourselves up over sins that God has already wiped clean and forgiven us of. Oh, friends. Keep preaching this truth to yourself that if you are in Christ, you have been forgiven and you can be forgiven no more than you've already been forgiven because you have been forgiven fully and completely. Number five, observation, moving along. Redemption supplies us with an abundance of blessing. Redemption supplies us with an abundance of blessing. Look with me, starting in the last part of verse seven. According to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. <laughs> like the riches of his what? His grace. His incomprehensible grace. That he what? <laughs> He lavished upon us. Think about that word lavished there for a second. Lavished, meaning he generously, even extravagantly bestowing large, large quantities of grace. Grace being the receiving of something that we do not deserve. And God is lavishing upon us, it upon us extravagantly from his absolutely endless supply. I was thinking about this this morning and just preparing for today. And I was thinking, oh, the fish and the loaves. <laughs> like out, people are hungry. Like there's no food to be found. Oh, I got these fish, I got these loaves, just little baskets of stuff. And Jesus is like, oh, watch what I'll do. <laughs> and he just starts multiplying the loaves. Like there's leftovers at the end. <laughs> it never runs out. You would have multiplied the people by another 100,000, 200,000, 10 million. The, the food would have just kept coming. Oh, so does his grace. It never stops. God can never run out of his grace. Why? Because he's a grace-filled God. It's just like he can never stop loving. Why? Because he is a loving God. That's who he is. If, if he has redeemed you in Christ, 
There will never be an end to his endless supply of grace. And I don't know about you, but I'm like, oh, praise God for that. Like, thank you, Lord, for an endless supply of grace because I need all the grace that I can get. Observation number six. Redemption brings spiritual discernment to the redeemed. Redemption brings spiritual discernment to the redeemed. Look with me at verse eight, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Now I'm gonna admit that this can be a bit confusing when reading it from our English text. Because what it comes across as is it appears that in God's own wisdom and God's own insight, he decided to lavish this upon us. But it's not what's intended in the original text. What's intended is that along with God bestowing redemption and forgiveness and grace, he also gives us wisdom and insight. Meaning we who are in Christ aren't just saved from the penalty of our our sin. Again, thankful for that. (laughs) But we're equipped with spiritual discernment to face whatever life throws our way. The Bible itself being a measure of lavish grace. You ever thought about that? The Bible itself is a measure of God's lavish grace. As God tells us, like he gives it to us right here to say, okay, this is how you're to think rightly about me and life and everything in this fallen world. I'm, I'm, I'm giving it to you. And I'm, I'm, I'm giving you this wisdom. It's this truth. I'm giving you the truth, wisdom, and I'm giving you insight or understanding, depending on what your translation says, the ability then to apply the knowledge and this truth in our everyday life. Meaning God doesn't just save us from judgment, but equips us to live godly lives in Christ Jesus, which begs the question, are we striving to live godly lives in Christ Jesus? Now this brings us to our final observation. Number seven, redemption brings the knowledge of future blessings. Redemption brings the knowledge of future blessings. Here we come to verses nine and 10. Making known to us the mystery of his will, according to the purpose, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth which naturally begs the question here, what is the mystery of his will? What is the mystery of his will? Now, I don't want to just come right out and say it. What I want you to do is I want you to see it for yourself. It's easy to say, okay, here's the answer, but I don't want you to see, like, where do we get the answer? First, it's his will. So look at the text with me. His will, so it's his plans, his purposes, his desires, So it's what's on the drawing board before the foundation of the world, all of which, what, he set forth to be fulfilled in who, church? In Christ, according to what? His plan, a plan, here we see, for the fullness of time. Now, what does that mean? 
What does it mean, a plan for the fullness of time? It means, in one sense, time has a beginning and time has an end. There's a fullness to it, a completeness to it. Eternity, on the other hand, has no beginning and no end. We understand time a whole lot better than we understand eternity, right? God has eternally existed in eternity. But at some point in eternity, he created time and all that exists. And there will come a day, there will come a time when time will intersect with eternity again. Now, if your head's not hurting too bad, this is where we're going with that. So in the realm of eternity, time as we know it is just a blip on the radar. Oh, but it's a very important blip. It's a cosmically important blip. I even hesitate to use the word blip, but I'm just trying to make the point. It's small in the big scheme of eternity, but it's magnanimous in importance because from the beginning of time to the end of time, God is fulfilling his plan that he set forth in eternity past. That is what was on the drawing board before the foundation of the world. For the purpose of, this is why, verse 10 to unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. All things, not meaning universally that everybody's going to heaven when they die. No. All things means those who are redeemed. Both Jews and Gentiles will be redeemed. All things united together in Christ, both Jews and Gentiles. All the created universe that is under the curse of sin. Oh, no more. No more sickness, no more pains, no more pandemics, no more plagues, no more sin, no more death. Eden, once again. Meaning all the wrongs in this world, every single one of them, every knee in the world will bow and it will be made right through Christ. Meaning God's plan has always been to unite all things to himself in Christ. And get this, it's happening right now. It's happening right now. God's eternal plan is being fulfilled in this very moment. What we're doing right now as a gathered assembly of believers is a part of God's eternal plan. As believers are being united in the body of Christ, the church over which Christ is the head. Jews and Gentiles united together in Christ. So even right now, we who are in Christ... We're sharing every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, verses 1, 2, and 3, with our fellow brothers, sisters in Christ, which includes our election, our adoption, our redemption, forgiveness, and spiritual wisdom. We are united now by his blood with brothers and sisters Christ all over the world from a distance and we will be united forever by his blood when we stand together in his presence forevermore. All of creation 
which Christ himself sustains by the word of his power will be united under Christ. So as all of things, all things came forth through him and from him, all things being created through him and for him, oh, it's all going to return to him in unity one day. Everything will be united together in him. As Paul writes in Romans chapter 8. I'm going to give you a second to get there because it's so rich. Romans chapter 8. Then I'm going to go back to my youth ministry days and, and just say, if you're there, say a word. I'll give you a second, right? All right. Romans chapter 8. If you're there, say a word. I'm going to give you a little bit more time. Romans chapter 8. Looking at verse 19, if you're there, say word. Oh man, hopefully you're, more, hopefully you're there a little bit more excited. But for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. Meaning this, all the redeemed from every tribe and tongue and nation, the entire universe, all the faithful angelic hosts, remember they're unfaithful angelic hosts, Ah, but the the faithful angelic host, literally, absolutely everything in heaven and on earth will be united together in Christ. Church, this is what redemption accomplishes. This is what redemption applies. So the question we leave today is, are you included among the redeemed? Are you included among the redeemed. Will you be united with Christ forevermore? And upon what evidence do you base your answer? Friend, if this is something you need to talk about and you have more questions about myself and our fellow elders, we would love nothing more than to talk with you about this very question how you can be saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Let's pray. Oh Lord, Jesus is our only hope in life and in death and that is our confession. And we who are in Christ can't even begin to thank you enough for the lavish grace you have poured out upon us through Christ. We are reminded through texts like these of your extravagant and marvelous love and grace. Which is completely undeserving to us. We've done nothing to merit it. But through our redemption, your love is made known and you are glorified. Oh Lord, therefore, in response to your love, may we live our lives to the praise of your glorious grace. May we live to make much of your holy name. 
and make your name known to all people. May those who have yet to respond in faith to your invitation to believe, may they do so today and begin a life of following you. Lord, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.